0: Reeling from all the terrible news, but not sure how to take action? I'm Kelly. I'm Lila. And this is What Can I Do?
1: Each week, we interview activists about how they took action, what got them
0: started, who helped them along the way, and what they'd do differently next time. In the process, we offer concrete advice on how to take the leap from freaking out on Twitter to making a difference. So let's get started. Everybody, this is what can I do—the podcast where we help you figure out what you can do when your boss or corporate overlords are making your life miserable. You might have noticed that Kelly normally does that intro. She could not be here today for this interview, so I have brought in a ringer. Brent Thornburg is the co-host of Brain Trust Live, which I also co-host, and he is going to join me today for this what can I do interview. Thank you so much for being here, Brent.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I'm obviously a fan of this podcast, What Can I Do? And I'm excited to have Maggie on on Brain Trust Live as well. So I hope I can do the what can I do audience proud, and especially Kelly, who's who's not here. So I know she always asks very thoughtful questions. So um we'll we'll see how I do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're very excited today to be joined by Maggie Carter, who is a four-year Starbucks partner and now a staff organizer with Workers United. Now we have been dying to do an episode in honor of hot labor summer. So we want to start off with our traditional first question at what can I do? Maggie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and specifically about your background when it comes to politics? Did you grow up in a political household? Have you been part of prior political movements? Like where does your activism begin?
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me, Lila and Brent. It's an honor to be here today with you. Um, You said it, Perfectly. I'm a four-year Starbucks partner and now staff organizer with Workers United. I'm also about to graduate with my uh, bachelor's in journalism and electronic media with a a heavy focus in political science and um, public policy. I'm also first and foremost, a a single mother to a beautiful eight-year-old boy whose first day of third grade was today. So Mm. um, wonderful. Um, and, And that's really like where my activism started, right? I became a single mom at a young age. Uh, My parents were from a working class household. I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, where, you know, um, activism kind of in the South really has always had a home. And so learning about that rich history here in Tennessee and just in the South, really kind of activated me from an early age to pay attention to racial injustice, and things that, um, you know, that, aren't really too often focused on in society or at least weren't while I was growing up. Um, It didn't feel like it, at least to me. And so that's really what sparked my interest um, about the labor movement, particularly with, you know, working at Starbucks, you know, Starbucks workers United popped up and I only learned about it from the company actually. So it's like really interesting that story. Um, But this campaign really activated me because I felt like I had only been told half the story about Dr. King in my youth, when I found out that he actually didn't just die fighting for racial injustice, he died fighting for the for uh, rights in the workplace and racial injustice. I mean, all of those at the same time, which are things that, unfortunately, we're still fighting for in 2023. Um, So that's what really activated me and began my journey with this.
1: Can you tell us about the the first steps of unionizing. You know, once you've spoken to a few people, who do you call? What do you do? Just just tell us what that looked like when you first got started.
2: Yeah, so that's a really interesting story, right? I just told you, you know, Starbucks is the one who actually showed me that we were unionizing at Starbucks because we had just gotten a pay increase coming out of the pandemic because they realized they couldn't bring us down to single digits after giving us a pandemic related wage increase that they then took away. So they pushed us up to twelve dollars an hour here in Tennessee. Fall of 2020. Then, all of a sudden, in October, they were announcing a wage increase that would only be instituted a year later. So, I started Googling Starbucks wages, Starbucks benefits, Starbucks working conditions, and all these things. And that's when I found out about the union. And so, I immediately looked at social media because that's what age we're in, right? We go to social media, we go to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. So, I found SB Workers United on Facebook. And on November 2nd, 2020, I can remember the day. I sent a message to Starbucks Workers United and said, I love the work you're doing. I'm very passionate um, about this as well. As a single mom working for this company, I-, I feel what you're saying in my life, and I'd love to know how I can support. So then, you know, I, I know now who that person was, but they then put me in contact with Richard Bensinger, who then helped me learn about this before I really brought the topic up in my store. And then once I brought it up in my store, my partners were like, oh, this sounds interesting. Um, and so that's kind of what activated us.
1: You were pretty early, I think, too, right? Weren't you? I mean, I know that I, I think that there were the early Buffalo stores. I don't know if that was an inspiration to you at, at all or if you were following it at that point yet, but I'm, I'm just curious if that was sort of you know relevant to you.
2: Yeah, definitely. That was like, you're so right. My store was within the first 15 to reach out. I'm not exactly sure what number we were in the filing process, but I do know that our store was the first in the South to file and when to become unionized. Um, So that is what I do know. I did not watch the initial Buffalo elections. I honestly was learning about it still and didn't really know that the elections were going on. And so the first election that I actually watched was the third unionized store in Mesa, Arizona, where I saw their victory was in February of last year. And so that was the first vote count that I watched. And
0: ours was on the horizon. So I said, we're next. Let's go. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges of unionizing in the South specifically? I think you've, you've talked about that a little bit in interviews before, but it sounds like a sort of uniquely challenging environment to get started in.
2: In the South, we face particular struggles, such as not as much investment from, you know, the political powers that be in terms of education, in terms of, there's so many underfunded communities here in the South. And- it doesn't feel like the politicians have any interest in furthering those communities. Um, You know, here in Tennessee, you just saw the Tennessee three, we just codified right to work laws, even though they've been in the state since the early like what fifties without even a threat of being touched with the Republican supermajority that is here. Um, So I think that a lot of those conditions that are created by design, by the powers that be really contribute to our lack of awareness of what the common civilian can do with their voice because it just feels so out of touch here. Like it's just out of reach. And I'm here to show everybody that I am a socialist. I am a progressive living in the South. You can fight for change. You can do it here. It's time.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the logistics of setting up a union vote? Once you started speaking to people, once you'd spoken to union leadership, um, elsewhere, like what did you actually do to get a vote scheduled? How did you ensure that the vote actually got to happen? Were there challenges that Starbucks tried to kind of throw up in your way?
2: Absolutely. That's a really wonderful question. Yeah. It's, it's a very deep, intricate process, obviously, and especially doing it through the pandemic in the middle, essentially, of the pandemic presented its own unique challenges. So the labor board was not coming out to hold votes in person. So when we filed for our election, we were very early on, I had gotten a group of my coworkers who were willing to kind of lead this and make sure everybody had access to information. And so once we had really covered all ground there, we got our union cards and we hit the ground running. And within 48 hours, we filed our petition on Christmas Eve. After that, we had to Starbucks challenged our ability to vote as a single store unit. They said that we should vote as an entire district, which is not actually what labor law says but they wanted to try to i guess it seemed as if they were willing to throw any roadblock in the way to make it take just a little bit longer so they would have just a little bit longer to talk to us and so we went through this hearing the labor board determined that we were eligible to vote as a single store unit much like they had in buffalo and mesa all points that i brought up in our captive audience meeting to which they had no answer for um, so it did take us from about we filed Christmas Eve, we got our ballots mailed to us because like I said, they didn't do an in person election on March 9th, And our votes were counted on March ninth, And we were certified as a union store on April 4th. So that's the timeline.
1: You know, you mentioned some of them in that answer, but I'm curious if you could talk about some of the tactics that Starbucks used to dissuade you from unionizing. Were there any others than some of the ones that you just mentioned?
2: You know, it really felt like... The classic saying, like they were throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what would stick. Like, it really felt like that. It it felt like every day they had a different plan, right? Like, so the first plan was let's get everybody in this captive audience meeting. And mind you, my store had never had a store meeting since I'd been at it, um, and so basically they pulled us into this meeting where they had separated us into two groups, right? Like, cause we all do a store meeting and separate people, right? That's like super <laughs> collaborative. So they put us into two separate groups for this captive audience meetings where the same four managers would be present. Um, and, and basically, so we came in, we did the meeting or whatever. And they basically were telling us like, oh, you know, we're not anti-union, we're just pro-partner. And then wouldn't give us any answers to the questions that we were asking. And then we had stayed open. Our store had been the only store in our district here in Knoxville that stayed open throughout the entirety of the pandemic. We never had a single store closure at my store merchants drive here in Knoxville until after our captive audience meeting. Because in both of these captive audience meetings, one of the managers tested positive for COVID and gave my partners COVID in this meeting. So you call it biological warfare. Sure, it wasn't, you know, intentional, but it it definitely felt like it was by design at the time. So we faced, you know, captive audience meetings. And then shortly after that, every shift you came in, you were doing a different one on one, whether it was with Um, Our store manager, our district manager, our regional director, which we had never met, was working bar with partners less than a week after we filed our petition, which is just totally uncharacteristic of the Starbucks experience. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you could definitely say that a lot of changes were made. And, And like I said, it wasn't just our store manager who was sitting down with partners. We had store managers from other stores, not even in our district, Coming in to pull partners off the floor while we're busy to try to talk to them about why having a direct relationship with Starbucks is the best path forward.
0: The idea that like even the captive audience meetings created like a public health hazard that really indicates that you needed union protection from those meetings is such a classic move. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your testimony before the Senate. I've testified before Congress and I know that the process was a lot more in depth and a lot more people wanted their hands on my testimony than I expected. Everyone had notes for me. It was like, you know, I, I was there to kind of like tell my story, but also to somehow tell the story of every single person I'd ever crossed paths with paths with in my entire life. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that experience, like who asked you to testify? What was it like? Did you have the experience of like a million hands on your testimony, like people trying to get a piece of that moment for you? And what was the experience of actually being at the hearing like?
2: That's a lovely question. You know, it does all kind of feel like a blur to me now. I'm sure you can relate Lila. It was a very intense process. And I was also going through finals at the time, Uh, or not finals, actually, no, this was in March, I believe. Wait, was it May or March? Anyways, that's where we are, right? I don't even remember when it was. That's how like crazy I was. So, you know, um, it, it was really insane. But at the same time, you know, I told you, I'm a, I'm a journalism student. I'm about to graduate. I'm a senior. I've done a lot of writing. I'm a non-traditional student. I'm almost 30 years old. Um, so I was very much interested in telling my story, but I also felt this overwhelming pressure to make sure that I represented the 8,500 partners who would die to be here speaking alongside the former CEO, Howard Schultz. So There was an interview process beforehand where um, some of the senators who sat on the help committee did reach out and interview um, partners, their staffers reached out and interviewed different partners across the country. And so I actually found out probably I'd say three weeks before the hearing that I was going to be the one testifying. And so um, I immediately got to work. I wrote, you know, 10 pages of testimony, which is accessible by anybody um, which I'll just go ahead and say was longer than the CEO, former CEO's testimony, because, you know, I had, I had, I felt the overwhelming need, like I said, to represent most of this campaign, because I have been a part of it since the very beginning. And I, this moment was not lost on me. It's very impactful. I mean, joining this union and Really looking for a voice in the workplace and just trying to make sure that my partners have access to a better quality of life before I leave this company than I did while I was working here. Who would have thought that doing that, that participating in this, filing for a union election, would in some way hold a billionaire executive accountable for his actions is insane. I mean, and just listening to a billionaire say that he earned it. While all these workers who actually earned it for him are sitting in the room, knowing they're exploited. It's a, it was a powerful moment and we felt every single partner in this movement's anger while we were sitting in that room. We felt it because these people don't know what we're going through. They don't represent us this $17 an hour, $25 an hour where, because we can't pay our bills. So I'd love for you to show that to me.
1: well i watched your testimony by the way and it was it was powerful so i mean you you certainly did a great job (laughs) um i'm i'm curious um you know i think so many people who sort of like start whether it be you know uh, uh, start this undertaking of trying to you know start a union at their workplace or just get into activism in any way i i think it's so easy to get demoralized a lot of times, right? And you know, you sort of talked about those roadblocks that they were throwing up against you. I'm curious, how did that sort of like help you move forward or did it push you to like get beyond them? Was it demoralizing? Like talk about how you were able to like work through those and, and deal with the moments that like were probably hard along the way.
2: That's a great question too, because this is not, it's not easy. I mean, it does sound like it's demoralizing, but at the end of the day, being able to sleep at night, knowing that I'm doing the good work, I'm doing work to make sure that these partners have a voice, that these human beings are able to represent themselves because it sounds so easy to say, speak up for yourself. Most of us in everyday like society going about our everyday lives, we just We fit. We fit into the puzzle. We keep going. We go about our day. We go to work. We come home. And I hear it so much from, you know, older generations. This is the way America is. Gen Z, millennials, we don't believe that. We don't believe that. We believe in challenging this system to improve it, to make it better, because this can't be all that life has to offer. Um, These systems that have been in place for so long... They're not working anymore. These benefits that these companies provide, they're not benefiting anybody but the companies because they're getting some backroom deal to offer it to us. And we can't even afford to use it. So at the end of the day, what kept me going is the small victories, right? The small victories in knowing that us organizing changed the starting wage for over 9,000 stores in the U.S., That is insane. Starbucks had no prior announcements, no attention paid to giving partners a raise to the starting wage, which mind you, I told you I'm a four-year partner. I started in May of 2019. If you watch my hearing, you notice I started making $8.35 an hour four years ago. This company was still in the billions of revenue at that time and they're paying me $8 an hour. Suddenly, four years later, when we start organizing a union, I'm now making almost double that. And that's before we bargain a contract, which we know statistically has shown that wages increase in the workplace with a union contract in place. That's crazy. That is that is a huge and very impactful change for partners across the country, not to mention credit card tips. Credit card tips was one of the main reasons why my store reached out. Howard Schultz sat on the board of directors for Square since the early 2000s, have y'all ever used a square payment device that doesn't have a tipping option? Can you think of one that doesn't?
0: No, I don't think so.
2: I can't either. He sat on the board of directors for that company that offers tipping at every single device, every single payment device, but his own quote unquote partners don't have access to that stream of income, but they call us partners. And I think Reverend, Reverend Barber said it perfectly to us at the Memphis March is that they call us partners, but they treat us like problems. And that's the perfect way to put it. Um, and, and so if you treat me like a problem, maybe I should turn into one, but I'm going to turn into a problem <laughs> for the corporation, not ever right. for my partners.
1: Can you talk about that? Because you mentioned the um, the credit card tipping, and that's really interesting. But I think people often think that like people who are unionizing just want higher wages. And that's not to say that that's not an important thing and you all deserve higher wages but I think that there's so many other things that people don't think about. I'm curious what some of your other specific asks were outside of wages
2: Well one thing that I'd love to talk about is the way Starbucks maintains their equipment um, and it's or the the lack thereof I mean they expect us to service customers in 40 seconds with a smile while making customer connections and doing all of this but our equipment is broken or faulty over half of the time. Our stores are too small for us to operate. Um, we're short staffed all the time. So we're running around like chickens with our head cut off. And, you know, at the end of the day, I have a partner who on a short staffed floor went to go restock her own milk while she's making beverages for any Starbucks partner who's listening. They'll know that that's not how it's supposed to operate during peak. You're supposed to have a person who's there for that reason she ended up tearing her ACL because she fell while she was going to restock milk because they didn't have an extra person on the floor and our space is too small. And they were there giving us the change order so the safe was open. And she ran into the safe and tore her ACL while she was trying to do her job. People don't realize how dangerous it can be to be a Starbucks partner. This is not, her story is not one of one. There are several partners who are working with Injuries. I mean, she is now considered disabled for the rest of her life because of what happened at Starbucks. And she had to wait for almost uh, for months until they would finally approve her surgery till they would approve this all while she's making $70 every two weeks. And that's like I said, she's not one of one. This is all too common because they don't train us well. Um, And so, like you said, there's a lot of benefits to engaging in this process. But first and foremost is job security and knowing that if this company fires you, they must fire you for a reason. They can't fire you and just say, oh, you're late today and you support the union. You're out of here. No, that is illegal. And you have recourse to get your job back. If you speak up alone without a union, what happens? You get fired and no recourse for you. But with a union, you have dignity in the workplace, you can speak up, you have a voice. um, And more importantly, you have a network of individuals who are ready to stand behind you and support you and be there for you. And that's not something that a lot of us know about in today's world. So I think a lot of those, and there's, I mean, I could talk to you for hours on end about the benefits that I've experienced from being in a union, but, you know, we got to stop this podcast at some point.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> Before we do, I do want to talk about what it looks like day to day to be a part of this union as someone who's involved. You know, it's I, it's it's obvious that it's had a huge impact on Starbucks partners who just work on the floor, who need protection from, you know, exploitive practices at the business level. But like, what does it look like for you as somebody who's involved in this? How How has your life changed?
2: My life has changed in so many ways. I mean, as a queer woman living in the South, I have found a new sense of community. I have learned so much from all the beautiful and incredible and amazing partners that, you know, Starbucks does one thing, right. They hire some really cool people and and really amazing people. and, And they know how to make sure that we are connected in a sort of trauma bonded sense. But Meeting all of these people, getting to learn from them, getting to connect with them, and, and just strategize with them on how, you know, our actions as hourly baristas are upsetting this multi billion dollar corporation at the level that it is. I mean, just being able to have that sense of community while also fighting for change and actually seeing the fruit of our efforts pay off, which is something that I think. A lot of us in society today don't get the chance to experience. I mean, we saw this on the writer's strike. You know, we don't want to do this. We love our jobs. I love my job. I love my regulars. They love coming in to see me every day when I make their latte. Their children love coming in to see me. This is all labor and effort that I've put in that Starbucks will never understand. That's a corporation, the, the managers at that level, they'll never understand and they'll never have to put in that same level of effort. And so that bond that we have between us, we all know that and that's what's our power. And we know that. And so we're gonna keep going and we're gonna keep fighting until we win. And this company better be ready because we're here and we're not going anywhere.
0: Where can people find you on the internet? How can people support your work? plug whatever you need to plug to make sure that people can connect with you and um, support the work that you're doing.
2: Absolutely. So first and foremost, please on all social media, go follow SB Workers United. That is, the, in, that is the Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook handle. If you do not follow those, anything we're doing, any day of action, all of those things will be posted there. My uh, Our personal Southern Region Twitter account is gonna be Southern SBWU. And then my personal Twitter account is big union mags. If you want to follow me, I don't tweet very much, but when I do, it's definitely interesting and colorful. Um, So yeah, definitely. Please give me a follow, but if not, you know, definitely please go follow our, our main accounts because that's where everything is posted and where you can really make sure you're in lockstep with our movement and, and we need you, we need all the support that we can get, you know, please go, go buy your cup of coffee, Show your barista some support. Let them know, hey, I see you. I see what you're going through. Um, and I support you, more importantly. Like, just let them know that. That's that's a huge deal for us. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where you can find me. And on great. the picket line near you. <laughs> that's right.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: And thanks so much for filling in, Brent. This is great.
1: You're welcome. I hope I did all right. <laughs>
0: You did great. And just for listeners of What Can I Do? There's going to be an extended version of this interview airing at Braintrust Live. So if you want to check out the rest of our interview with Maggie, head over there. We're just BraintrustLive.com and we're at Braintrust Live at all the major podcast places. Check it out. Thanks for listening to What Can I Do? You can find show notes and credits for this episode at WhatCanIDoPodcast.com. To the best of our knowledge, all audio used by What Can I Do is in the public domain or used with permission. Original artwork is by Matthew Weflin and used with express permission. You can find us on Twitter at pod To contact us with questions or guest suggestions, please email hello at whatcanidopodcast.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review and tell your friends.